Thank you uh, very much, Keith, for leading us in prayer. And Eli, wise guy, wonderful job reading the Scripture passage for us. If you have uh, been following along in your Jesus Storybook Bible, which has given us the framework for our, um, for our uh, uh, series over the course of this year, you'll know that we are now in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached, and uh, we could have taken any number of passages out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in case you're wondering where you'd find it, and uh, we could have preached a, a, a sermon on, on any one of those uh, sections in those chapters, but we're doing this one, <laughs> do not worry, and we have lots of reasons to worry these days, and so it's appropriate for us to look at this passage together. Now, let me just say right away, I get a little bit anxious every time I have to preach on anxiety. (laughs) Um, It is a big topic. It's a huge topic. And it is actually a complicated topic. And actually, right at the very beginning, right before we even get into it, we have a complication to deal with. Jesus says here at the opening of of this passage, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Other translations say, do not be anxious. Worry, anxiety, are they the same thing? Are they different things? What is Jesus talking about? Well, I did a bit of research uh, and clinicians tend to distinguish between worry and anxiety, but then, of course, there's overlap to make things more difficult for us. Worry, they say, has to do with the mind, whereas anxiety, yes, it has to do with the mind, but it also manifests itself in the body. There are physical symptoms to anxiety as well. Uh, Worry tends to be specific, so you would say, I'm worried about my test tomorrow, or I'm worried about getting COVID, or I'm worried about how in the world I'm going to uh, homeschool my kids while they're home. Whereas anxiety tends to be more vague and, and, and more dif- diffuse. So you would say, anxiety means you're, you're feeling unsettled, but you can't really pinpoint what it is you're unsettled about. Or... Uh, you feel unsettled about absolutely everything. And then worry tends to also pre- uh, uh, focus kind of, or oh, sorry, uh, worry tends to be temporary. So uh, you say, I'm worried about my test tomorrow. Well, you deal with that by studying hard for your test and then going through that test tomorrow. Whereas anxiety tends to be persistent. And it's kind of, it's kind of like, I heard, uh, uh, I heard it described this way. It's kind of like living with the theme to Jaws playing in the background of your life. And it's like always there. Worry focuses kind of on the present reality uh, that's in front of you, whereas anxiety tends to think about the future, the unknown future, and spin out all kinds of scenarios uh, that could possibly happen in that unknown future. Well, what is Jesus talking about in this passage? Is he talking about worry or is he talking about anxiety? I would like to say he's talking about both, actually. Uh, The Bible does not make these fine distinctions that our modern diagnosticians make. Um, It kind of puts them all together. And yet, Jesus is talking about specific things. Look at verse 32. He says, uh, 
or sorry, verse 31, he says, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. These are specific concerns. But he also addresses sort of that vague, nameless future. He says at the very end of the passage, he says in 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. We don't have to choose, is what I'm saying. Jesus is talking about all of it. He's speaking to all of it, and he's counseling us with all of it. In fact, he's commanding us about worry and anxiety. He says three times in this passage, do not be anxious or do not worry. Now, of course, right away, we have another complication. How do you command someone not to worry? Um, as far as I know, nobody wants to have anxiety. Nobody wants to be worried. You don't get up in the morning and say, I can't wait to, to, to worry really hard today. Of course not. It is, anxiety is something unchosen and it is unwanted and it is involuntary. So how in the world can you, can you tell us, command us not to do it? And, and what's the implication? That if we do worry and if we are anxious, does that imply that, that anxiety and worry are sinful? Is anxiety, is having anxiety a sin? And the answer to that is, Maybe. What do you mean maybe? Well, th this is wonderful about the Bible. The Bible is the most comprehensive book about our psychology and it understands who we are in a, in a way that is so much deeper than anything else in the world, frankly. There, there's lots of possible cause to anxiety and worry. First of all, sometimes it's a good and proper response to your circumstances. You may have a good reason to be worried about something. Uh, second of all, it could be the result of some kind of physical issue. So I know, for example, uh, if you have an overactive thyroid, that can contribute to anxiety. Uh, it could also be the result of trauma. Uh, you've had an experience in your life that has really affected you very, very deeply, and your anxiety is kind of rooted in that experience. And sometimes anxiety is rooted in a sinful response to our circumstances. And then, of course... Sometimes anxiety is a combination of one or two or all of these factors together. And yet, here's the part we need to think about. This is the part we need to remember. Worry and anxiety are certainly the result of sin. See, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. God did not create us with the intention of worrying and having anxiety. These are results of the fall. So worry and anxiety are a result of living in a corrupt and fallen world where there are all kinds of reasons to be concerned, like living through a pandemic. And yet, Jesus doesn't want us to be bound by, he doesn't want us to be enslaved to constant worry and anxiety. What does worry and anxiety do? It limits us and it restricts us and it sucks joy out of our lives. And it doesn't have to be this way. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. I, I talked to Mark about this uh, subject this week because, you know, he's got more, a lot more counseling education and, and sort of psychological understanding of all this stuff than I do. And uh, he helped me understand kind of the remedy that Jesus is 
prescribing in this passage. And he put it this way. He said, look, anxiety is not cured by taking a pill. Yes, anxiety, the symptoms of anxiety can be mitigated through medication, and thank God for that, okay? That that is out there and that is a possibility. But it doesn't cure it, and neither does, um, neither does kind of an, an exhortation like, do not worry, stop it, buck up. Maybe you're thinking that's what Jesus is doing here, but he's not. Jesus is counseling us as a gentle, gracious shepherd who comes alongside us and says, they're there, don't worry. Rather, Mark says, he says, anxiety is something we need to be weaned off of as part of our discipleship with Christ. And I love the way he puts that, weaned off of it, because it's, it's a habitual way of thinking and doing and desiring. We'll get to this, what all this means in a minute. And Jesus is prescribing a way here to wean us off of this. So, so don't expect that if you, you know, recite a verse 12 times, that, bing, the Bible magically, you know, works, and next thing you know, you're no longer anxious. However, I will say this, as I've been meditating on these words this week, I have had a remarkably worry-free week. I will probably have a terribly worry-filled week next week, and I'll have to relearn the lessons I've learned this week, but it goes to show you, friends, that, that we can be weaned off of this as we steadily are, as we are steadily discipled by Christ through His Word and Spirit. So, we're going to dive into this passage. Hopefully that wasn't too long in an introduction. Uh, and we're going to look at this prescription that Jesus gives us. First of all, we're going to see that he, he, he roots our worry in two different things. Disordered thinking and disordered love. First of all, disordered thinking. Notice that Jesus says in this passage over and over again, kind of consider this, consider this. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. What he's doing is, is he's combating our disordered or our wrong thinking. And there's kind of two types of wrong thinking that come to the fruition in this passage. The first is, we can have a low view of God or we, we think too little of God. So look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? And then he goes on to talk about the birds. Look at the birds. You know, they're working hard all day. They're, they're finding their food, and they're getting fed every day. And he says, now look at the flowers. They don't really do much of anything, and yet they're absolutely gorgeous. And he says, isn't life more important than food? Isn't, isn't uh, your body more important than the clothing that you put on your body? Now, this is, this is very insightful. What Jesus is saying is, look, God is the one who gave you life. Well, a duh. But think about this. God is the, the reason you exist is because God gave you life. Did you know that one of the great mysteries of science and philosophy is how in the world did life on this planet come to be? Like there's lots of easy ways to explain sort of chemical reactions and, and the material that exists in the universe. There's, there's, there's ways of explaining that. What they can't explain is how in the world 
did life come to be? How did we get life from non-life? And the biblical answer is God. Yes, it's self-evident, I know that, but it is profound. God is the one that's given you consciousness. God is the one that's given you existence. God is the one that's given you self-awareness. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't even know that you're here. And he's given you this body in which you exist, not just as a shell, but it's part of who you are. Okay, so what? Well, if God is going to give you these oh-so-important things, like a body and your very existence, why do you think that he's not going to give you those lesser things? Like the food to keep the life going and the clothing to keep the body covered. This is the argument of Romans chapter 8. We, we uh, reflected on it in our time of confession. In Romans 8, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Here's what what anxiety does, friends. Anxiety says, Father, you know, I know you've emptied heaven of your greatest treasure. Uh, You executed your son voluntarily for me, but, you know, I'm just not sure you know how to arrange my week. Yes, you saved me from sin and death and hell. But will you actually take care of me? Anxiety says, God, you are so good at overcoming the big things. But can I trust you with the little things? Yes, you can take me to heaven. But can you help me make it through the week? It's foolish. And maybe you're saying, Paul, that is harsh. You're being very harsh with me. That's not what I'm doing when I'm being anxious. Well, let's be open to what God is saying to to us here. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus points to the pagans, to the Gentiles. These are people who don't have a God who is a heavenly father. These are people who don't have a God who cares for them the way a good heavenly father does. And so therefore, they kind of have reason to run after these things. They don't have someone to take care of them. But Jesus says, you have a God who is your father. Those Gentiles, they don't have a God like that. And so they have to worry about Who else is going to worry about this stuff for them? But that's not you. If you're a believer, that's not you. And this is why Jesus actually says, um, where are we? Where does he say, oh, you have little faith? Oh, here. This is why Jesus in verse 30, he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's not me telling you that you do this with your anxiety or with your worry saying to God I'm not sure I trust you to take care of the details of my life this is Jesus telling us that this is where it's coming from there's a disordered thinking we think too little of the God we profess to believe in and I'm not saying you don't believe in him what I'm saying is you're not connecting 
what you think about who God is kind of intellectually with how you're living out that belief experientially. And, and there's more, actually, it, there's more to it than that. We don't just think too little of God. In a sense, we think too little of ourselves. Now, I've got to be careful with that language. I, I, want, I like that because I like the parallel. You think too little of God. You think too little of yourselves. I like that, you know, as a rhetorical device. But really... Our problem is, is that we think too little of what God thinks of us. That's really what we should be considering. Look, over and over and over again, Jesus calls God our Father. And the implication is, is that you are His child, actually His child. By faith through, by faith in Jesus Christ, you become, John says, you have the right to be called children of God. That means that God delights in you, that God cherishes you, that God has you on his mind. Now think about this. If you are a parent, do your kids have any idea how much you think about them? I guarantee you they do not. And I guarantee you that they don't think about you nearly as much as you think about them. You're worried about how things are going for them in school. You're worrying about whether they're eating right. Right now, you're probably freaking out like me about how much screen time they're having because they don't have much opportunity to do much of anything else. You're worried about what their future is going to be like. You're worried about what their friends are like. You're worried about where they're going and what they're doing when they're going where they're going. You're thinking about your kids constantly and you're thinking about your kids' future and you're praying for your kids every day that they will meet someone to love and cherish for their life, that they will put their trust in Jesus and follow him with their whole heart wherever he sends them. You are always thinking about your kids. If that's what it's like for you and me who are okay as parents how much more would it be for god and jesus says look at he cares for birds for sparrows these little itty bitty birds how much more valuable are you to him than birds and you might say well i'm a human i'm an animal rights activist i don't like that kind of language fine grass grass how much do you think about grass god cares about the grass but he doesn't care about the grass the way he cares about you. See, in a sense, we, we insult God and ourselves when we worry because we're thinking nobody's noticing what's going on. Nobody's, I have to think about this. I have to be concerned about this. And it's not true. Verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Again, when you've got little kids especially, but even when you've got teenagers, I mean, you know what your kid needs way more than your kid does. Your kid thinks they need another cookie or another donut or another fruit by the foot or another whatever sugary thing they love. That's what they think they need. But you, as their parent, you know what they really need. They really need their vitamins. They really need to take in some protein and have some carbs and maybe exercise a little bit and read because, you know, reading, by the way, is the backbone of education. Get your kids to read. You know they need that. Well, your Heavenly Father knows what you really need. Disordered thinking, friends, it's a, it's, a, it's a big part of where our worries come from. But that's not it. Oh, man, I could say so much more about that. We're going to move on to, to the other thing, disordered love. We worry about the things that we are devoted to. And this is why 
worries are so different among different people. Um, I'm going to generalize here a little bit, but let's face it, uh, this is partially true. That's why generalizations happen. Mom says to Dad, you know, I'm worried about Johnny. Johnny seems sullen. He seems down. He doesn't seem interested in his schoolwork. He's having problems with his friends. I, I'm really, really worried about, about Johnny. And, and Dad says, oh dear, don't worry about Johnny. He'll be fine He'll get through this. You just got to trust God. <laughs> so sanctimonious and holier than thou, right? And now here's dad. He says to mom, he says, oh man, I don't know, like COVID has just done a number on our investments. We lost 30% of our portfolio over the last years. Business is down 40% this year and I don't, I'm going to have to lay people off or I'm going to lose my job or whatever and I don't know if we're going to be able to pay our bills and we're probably going to have to eat craft dinner every night and pancakes every, every weekend and that's what our life is going to be. And, and mom says, dear, 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 come on, relax. We'll be okay trust God. Well, that's because worries are rooted very often in our desires. We have different desires, different loves. You know, verse 25 starts with, therefore I tell you. It's a tired old saying, but it's worth saying again. Whenever you see a therefore, you should ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? So you look above it. And above it, in verse 24, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying you cannot have two centers in your life. Your heart is like a throne, and only one thing can sit on that throne at a time. It's going to be God or it's going to be something else. And in this situation, in this circumstance, Jesus is talking about money. And he's saying, if you look to your money for your security and for your joy, then you will always be worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. The point, though, is not money so much as anxiety and worry. And money is the illustrative framework that Jesus is using in this passage to point that out, that our desires, what we want, often drives our anxieties and our worries. So, you know, in, uh, oh, where is it? Luke 10? I looked it up this morning. I forgot to write it down. The story of Martha, uh, Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. Goes to their house. Martha is cooking in the kitchen. She's working really hard. Mary just kind of plunks down, sits on the floor in front of Jesus while he starts teaching. And Ma Martha comes up to Jesus and says, Tell her to stop this and tell her to help me out. And Jesus basically says, oh, Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about all kinds of things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has found it. Sit down, focus on me and my teaching. His point is, if I am not your center, I am not sitting on the throne of your heart. You will constantly be torn up by your worries. If your professional life, if your relationships, if material comfort, if anything else is the center of your life, if any of those things is more important to you than me, Jesus says, then, then you're going to be torn up with worry because it works like smoke. 
you follow your worries, your desires, the way you follow smoke back to uh, the source. You follow your worries and your desires to find out what's really burning in your heart. And again, you might be thinking, boy, that's harsh. Are you telling me that if I'm anxious and I worry, I'm not a Christian? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm showing you is that we're always at war with these disordered loves, with these other gods that are promising to give us the security and the satisfaction and the joy and the identity that we long for. And they're saying, come on, put your hope in a little bit of money or come on, put your hope in a little bit of uh, athletic success or come on, put your hope in a little bit of uh, 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 academic skills or put your uh, hope in a little bit of uh, 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 sex or uh, family relationships or whatever. And God is, is, Jesus is telling us, if you do that, if you give in to that, it will cause anxiety and worry in your life. And what you need to do is you need to kick it out again. You need to kick those things off the throne of your heart. And that's how we get to the third point. That's how we get to the remedy. Okay, look at verse 33. This is the remedy. Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, notice, all these things will be given to you as well. These things, food, drink, clothing, shelter, house, tuition payments, whatever, these things matter. Material stuff matters. Jesus is not saying that they don't matter. But he's saying, but they're not first. Now, I have found this very convicting, I have to say, because think about how much time you spend running around after earthly things. How much time and energy you spend working on your career or your education or your physical abilities or even your health or working on your house or or being able to have a house or uh, your investments or your business. Think of all the mental energy and all the physical energy that goes into pursuing those things. And COVID, all COVID has done is just intensified at least the mental energy and perhaps even the physical energy going into pursuing these things. You're thinking about your kid's education and you're going, okay, look, Teachers are trying their best with online learning, but listen, this is not the way that we were supposed to be educated, and so let's face it, um, this is like a lost year, or it feels like a lost year. And you're wondering, are my kids going to fall behind? Or maybe socially, maybe you're a young person, and what's really important to you in your life, understandably, are your friends. But you can hardly see them because of COVID restrictions and that kind of stuff. And you're in that place in your life where you think that if you don't see your friends for long periods of time, then your friends will start to forget you and you're wondering if you'll even have friends at the end of COVID at all. Or maybe sports. Maybe you had dreams of playing at a certain level and you needed to be able to train and you needed to be able to work hard and you needed to be able to go to tryouts and you needed to be able to make your, uh, you know, your your recruitment videos for colleges or universities and all that kind of stuff, and you've lost a season or a part of a season, and it looks like you're losing the rest of the season, and you think you're going to fall behind. And you're saying to yourself, now what? Maybe you are looking for love, and you can't date. Or you wanted to start a family, 
and your finances are such that you're kind of freaked out about that and you think, well, you know, our finances are, are a bit unstable so maybe we shouldn't do this, but you're not getting any younger. All of that matters, God says. Jesus is not denying that those things are important, but he's saying those things, they're not first. What's first is my kingdom. In other words, don't run after what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Run after me. Run after my agenda to know me, to love me, to serve me, and to serve others. And he says, this matters first of all. And when that, when you focus on that, God says, I will take care of the secondary things. See, when you make the secondary things the first things, when you make second tier things the first tier things, what happens is, is you disconnect yourself from the real first tier things. You're not focusing on God anymore, you're focusing on the other things and you become disconnected from the first tier things and now those second tier things, they become first tier things to you but the joy that comes from those things gets sucked right out of them. You can't enjoy them anymore because you're chasing, notice that Jesus says the Gentiles run after these things. You're always running after it. You're always worried about it. You're always concerned about it. You're always, always, it's, it's dominating your mind and dominating your mental energy. Jesus says, look, where am I? Verse 33 again. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you. Imagine, imagine you and I went out for dinner. We're on our way. To, you remember those days? Good old days. And we're on our way to dinner and you say, oh no, I forgot my wallet. And I say, don't worry about it. And we get to the restaurant, we have dinner, the bill comes, and I turn to you and I say, hmm, so you don't have any money to pay for your dinner, huh? And you go, well, wait a minute, you, just, you told me not to worry about it. And I responded with, well, I, I just, in the moment, I, I wanted you to be at peace about the fact that you didn't have your wallet. That would be a cruel joke, right? Well, God isn't saying to you, don't worry now, so that you'll just feel good now. He's saying, don't worry now because I will take care of you. And I mean that and you can trust me. I'm your father. Now I know there's, there's some objections and, and I gotta name at least one of them because if I don't deal with it, you're gonna think that I'm a chicken and I'm taking the easy way out and I never wanna be accused of that. You're thinking to yourself, look, but people do starve. People don't have enough. That happens. People suffer. People go without. What about that? Yep, it's true. Jesus, though, is not a naive idealist. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, listen to what Jesus says. How's this for a sales pitch for being a follower of Jesus Christ? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus knows that suffering will happen. Now, how do we reconcile that with Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, don't worry, God knows what you need and he will provide it. Seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added to you. Well, this is hard to hear. But this is the truth. God gives us what we need 
to live for the time appointed for our lives. God gives us not what we need to live for the time appointed to our lives. In verse 27, he says this strange thing because it doesn't seem like it connects with, with what he's saying about feeding the birds and, and clothing the, uh, uh, or, you know, yeah, feeding the birds, etc. All of a sudden he says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And of course, you know the answer is no. If anything, worrying, all it does is shorten your life. <laughs> doesn't make it any longer, does it? All of us have been given an appointed number of days on this earth by our Heavenly Father. He knows those numbers of days. Psalm 136, verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry. For the time that you are granted life on this earth, I will prov- God will provide everything you need to live that life on this earth. And you might be saying, oh, oh, man, that's hard to hear. Yeah, that's hard to hear. But you're, with all due respect, you're a rich Canadian. Probably. I I doubt that someone who's living a subsistence life in the sub-Saharan African continent is watching this live stream right now. You are a rich American. Jesus, or American, (laughs) you're a rich Canadian. Jesus is speaking these words to people who did live in a subsistence culture, who each and every day had to find the food to get through that day. But Jesus is saying more than that. It gets even harder, okay? Jesus is saying that there is actually more to life than staying alive. God knows what you need to stay alive. Look, if your goal in life is to simply stay alive, you will fail guaranteed. There's a 100% failure rate on this, this exam. But Jesus is saying, look, there's a bigger reason to live than simply not to die. If you're going to be consumed about anything while you have life and breath on this earth, be consumed with something bigger than your existence. Make it bigger than just staying alive, just amassing money and stuff, keeping up with the Joneses around you. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back before then. So make the focus of all your energy be consumed by the kingdom. Having God's reign in your heart, come to your heart, come to the hearts of your children, come to the hearts of everyone in your church, come to the hearts of your community and to the ends of the earth. And this is coming from the one who lived like that. He came to this earth to die. He lived so that he could die. But he lived for the kingdom. Okay. Last part of the remedy. Look at verse 34. That part was hard, I know. But I think I'm going to chew on that a lot more myself. I encourage you to just think on that. What's my goal in life? I don't know how long I I have. What am I after? What am I doing? What's the point of it all? Is it just to get more stuff? Is it just to be more successful? Is it just to be more comfortable? Is that it? Okay. Verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love how Jesus is so realistic. Tomorrow's going to have its own problems. Who knows? They might be worse than today's. 
He knows that. But his point is, is that the Father who's taking care of you today is the Father who will be taking care of you tomorrow. And he will deal with tomorrow's problems tomorrow as well. And you need to trust that. See, God gives us grace to face each day. He does not give us tomorrow's grace today. He gives us today's grace today. His grace doesn't work like that. You can't bank God's grace and stockpile it with anxiety for tomorrow. You remember the Israelites? They were traveling through the desert and they had nothing to eat and God said, all right, I'm going to give you food every day. And they woke up every morning and there was manna on the ground. And what were they told to do? do? They were told, collect enough food, excuse me, enough food for today. Don't collect any for tomorrow, except on Friday you can collect double because you're not going to collect it on the Sabbath because you're supposed to rest. And if you try to collect more for tomorrow and bank it and stockpile it, the extra is going to spoil. It's going to turn rotten. Why? Because the principle is God grants us the grace for today, today. You're worried that you're going to fail tomorrow, that your kid's going to go off the rails tomorrow, that you're going to give in to temptation on your addiction tomorrow, that your business is going to blow up tomorrow. Jesus says, I will deal with that tomorrow. It's not your, you don't want to give in to your addiction today. You don't want your kids to go off the rails today. You don't want to know how to, you don't want your business to be destroyed today. Come to me for that today. And the way you do that is through prayer. And this is the final thing I want to say. Uh, It's an insight that came to me this week that just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, Oftentimes, our prayers are really just worrying in the direction of Jesus. We're not really praying. We're worrying in the direction of Jesus. And you know how you know that that happens to you? Because you have anxieties, you have worries, you have cares, and you bring them to Jesus and you pray. And then you say, Amen. And you're still anxious and you're still worried. And you still have all these cares. It's because we're not listening to the Bible. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Peter says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. To cast your anxiety on him means to to give them to them. Give them to him. to, 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 To say they're your problem now. They're not my problem. You care for me. I know you do. I know you do because the birds and the, the flowers, etc. And that's how, and the way you do that, so you're saying, okay, how do I do that? Okay, and here's the insight. Um, Paul in Thessalonians, he says, do not be anxious for anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Now, forever I thought that what Paul was telling was, you have your cares and concerns, and then you have your things you're thankful for. Make sure that you don't just pray your cares and concerns because then you're just giving a laundry list or a grocery list to God, but you've also got to thank Him. But think of it this way. You, you use thanksgiving on your cares and concerns. So, take one illustration. Your child is struggling in school. And maybe they have learning challenges and therefore their struggles are, are exponentially harder than their classmates. 
And you bring those anxieties to God and you say, God, please deal with them. But the way you deal with them is through thanksgiving. You say, Father, I know that my child is struggling here, but I thank you so much that you are their father. I thank you that in Psalm 139, you said that you knit them together in their mother's womb. You know my kid more intimately than I know my kid. You know exactly what they need before they even ask for it. You know better than me what's good for them. And you have shown me when, you, when I look at the birds and I see that every day they're making it through and I look at the flowers and I see that every day they're clothed in majesty beyond even Solomon's garments of glory. I can know that you are here to hold on to my kids. So I trust that as I do my best, like the birds do their best, they got to go and peck at the ground to find seed. I will do my best for my child and help them with their education, but I will not be anxious about it because they're yours. And I thank you that they're yours. You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about Jordan Peterson, there's lots he says that I think is off base, but one of the things I really appreciate is he's always hammering home how amazed we should be at how good the world actually is. If you, he has a great anthropology in the sense that he seems to believe in total depravity. He believes in the sinful human nature. And he is astounded that we live in a world where today we are not, when COVID hits, just saying, every man for himself, and I grab my shotgun, and I knock the doors down in your house, and I take all your food so that me and mine can survive. And you think, oh, of course that wouldn't happen in civilization. Why not? Why not? It is, we live in a world that is so good. We have social safety nets for those who run out of work and run out of housing and run out of things. If you, have, if you have struggles and issues, you can find counseling and you can find resources and you can talk to pastors and it goes on and on and on. It is so good. But you see, what he points out is, is we are wired to be aware of threat. We're not wired to be aware of the goodness. So, the threats, they're popping up all over the place and we're going, oh, I see a threat there and oh, I see a problem there and oh, I see, I got to react to that. The good things, they just run subconsciously through our minds and we barely give them uh, uh, any notice. But if Mark is right, and I think he is, we need to be weaned off our anxiety. What's the cure? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. God, you are so good. Look at all you have done for me and mine. Look at what you do for the world around us. You are so good to me. Let's pray. Father, it doesn't matter who we are, we struggle with this. Some of us, uh, much more than others, some of that is just uh, kind of personality or dispositions some of it is because some of us have, have trauma in our lives or we have physiological issues that are, are um, uh, contributing to our anxiety, but all of us face anxiety each day to some degree, and in part, it's because we just think too little of you and think too little of what you think of us. Father, cure us of that at least. Disciple us, we pray out of our anxiety, into the peace that passes understanding, so that we can also 
care for others who struggle. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for your constant forgiveness of our sin. Whatever is sinful, we know you forgive it. The sins that we know are sins and even the sins we don't know are sins, we confess and repent of all of them and we even entrust that to you. We throw that anxiety onto you as well. And we live with clear consciences not because we're good, but because you are. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus we pray. Amen.